just bring to your attention that, like, in the, in the 21st century, kind of in our day and age, we have, you guys know this, we have uncountable preaching, teaching, learning resources here in America, like, within our grasp. Like, look up online, you can find the best of the best preachers, you can read their books. Um, we also have, like, we live in a really media-driven society where you can get the best, like, videos that will explain scriptural truths, and, um, and, and it's just a really kind of in-your-face, available, at-your-fingertips type teaching environment that we have, uh, that we're fortunate to have, I'd say, in the church in America here. Um, and then we ask you to come here on Wednesday nights um, to hear me, um, or Randy, or um, other guys that have taught here. Uh, guys that, that aren't, we're not world-class communicators. Uh, we don't have the crazy budgets or, or skills to produce these magnificent videos and teaching aids illustrations. And like I can see, like wondering, like, well, why, you know, why would you spend your time here with us on Wednesday night? Um, and maybe thinking, why? Well, I, I want the kind of teaching. I want to hear the type of people teaching who will produce massive fruit in my life. I just hear them, and my life begins to change because of it. And I wanted to just like start by by kind of reviewing for a second the parable that we looked at last week, um, the parable of the sower at the beginning of Matthew beginning of Matthew 13, and just by way of review, do you guys remember in that parable, what does the seed that's sown, what's the seed represent? Jesus says it represents something. The seed is what? What's that? The kingdom? The, the word, verse 18 or 19 says the word, the word of the kingdom, I mean, yeah. Um, who Who is the sower? Does it say, does Jesus explain who the sower is? I don't, I don't know if you remember, but it's not, he doesn't so much say who the sower is. I'd say the sower just happens to be anybody who's spreading the, the word of the kingdom. I mean, um, you guys, what do we think the soils represented, the different soils that the word fell on? He doesn't say specifically, but what do you kind of gather out of that? Different nations. Different nations, okay. Maybe. maybe hearts, maybe? Hearts, yeah. I'd totally say, like, we have a receptive heart that bears fruit, and then we have other hearts that receive it quickly, and maybe hearts, and there's different hearts within different nations. Um, but only one of those four plants actually bears fruit, right? Um, and I think that's why we come here on Wednesday nights, is to, like, we want to, like, read and know and want to produce fruit in our lives, whatever we learn. Um, but in that parable, I'll just ask this too, like what do all four of those plants or, or potential plants, like what do they all have in common? They have in common the same what? Sower. The same sower and the same what else? Seed, yeah. I mean it's, the, it's different seeds, but all that seed is the word of God. So it's the same sower and the same seed. So what's the variable that's different in whether the plant grows and produces fruit or not. The soil. Like that's that's the one thing that changes in all of those examples is the soil. So for the word of God to produce fruit in one's life, what is the critical component? 
it's the soil or the heart. Like that seems to be what makes the difference, at least in this parable. Or I think you could say that fruitful Christians aren't fruitful just because they sat under the most impressive sowers of God's word. Um, they're fruitful because they had good soil. And we learned a little bit last week that soil is a soil, it's, it's one who's eager to learn, one who's seeking out truth. And we see that in the disciples. They're asking Jesus questions. What, is, what does this mean? Why are you speaking in parables? And to those people who are seeking, who are the good soil Jesus is speaking about, he gives them revelation. And they're the ones that end up, are going to produce fruit in their life. So when you come here on Wednesday nights, it's just kind of by way of intro, I know that the desired effect that you all have, anytime you're learning from the Word of God, the desired effect is that you produce fruit because of the time that we've spent in the Word. And I would suggest to you that that fruit depends much less on the teacher than it does on like your posture walking in the door here. And if like you're actually seeking to understand God's Word and find His truth or not. Now, like all that... To say, like, I, as a teacher, have a great responsibility also, or Randy, or whoever else teaches. Like, our responsibility being that this is a gift God's given us to serve the church with, we need to do the very best that we can to understand clearly, to communicate clearly, and and to, you know, move people to action. Like, there's there's stuff that, like, we want to do as best we can. We have a responsibility there, too. Um, but for... For all of us, in, in, in order to really produce fruit in our lives, much of the onus is on you and obviously the Spirit of God and that you would be ready to receive whatever, uh, whatever we look at um, in, as it relates to Scripture. So there was a famous Welsh preacher named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And when he would preach, he would like travel around and preach different places. When this guy would preach, people at the end of his preaching would repent and say, I believe, I'm going to follow Christ, and they said, who never have before. They're saying, I, 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 wow, for the first time I believe I want to follow Christ. And even elders and pastors of churches who had been there for years and years and years would hear this guy preach, and they would respond in repentance and say, you know what, I don't know if I've ever believed, but now I want to believe and follow Christ. The really interesting thing is if you go back and listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons, which he just died in the early 80s, so you can get some like audio recordings of his sermons, he's not the most like dynamic, in-your-face, big Francis Chan communicator. <laughs> he's pretty monotone. He talks for a long time, and like frankly, I feel like a lot of us in, in this culture, maybe media-saturated culture, we, we would get bored with it, potentially. But people, because of, because of the word and because of their eagerness to, to want to learn, um, were, were changed and repented and followed Christ because of it. Another example, who did God choose in the Old Testament basically as his mouthpiece to declare his law to the people of Israel? Like, who's the main guy? Moses. And what was unique about Moses that that was ironic about? Maybe a speech impediment of some sort. He says um, in... Exodus 4.10, Lord, I'm not eloquent, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And you might say, well, that's why God gave him Aaron to speak for him. But actually, if you like look at the account, God was kind of ticked off at Moses for, for requesting you know, to use Aaron. He ended up using both of them to speak. But God's like God's desire was to speak through this guy Moses, who was just kind of like, ah, just, I'm not real good with my words. The, one of the most well-known teachers ever, uh, certainly in, in the New Testament, 
Paul. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, 6, what Paul says of himself is he says, I'm unskilled in speaking. And in 2 Corinthians 10, others say of him, his letters are weighty and strong, like we've got those, right? But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account, or his speech is contemptible, uh, is what that means. So Paul even maybe wasn't much to listen to. He probably wasn't like the guy that you'd invite now to a big conference or something, you know, that you want to just get the biggest names that are the most compelling. Like, because he just wasn't necessarily some out there really incredible dynamic communicator. Um, and I've heard before, like, hey, but, you know, we want someone that's able to teach, that's able to make Scripture really come alive. I need Scripture to come alive. I love what R.C. Sproul said in his book, Knowing Scripture. He said, um, he said, when I was hired to teach the script, Scriptures in required Bible courses at a Christian college, the president of the institution phoned me and said, we need someone young and exciting, someone with a dynamic method who will be able to make the Bible come alive. And I had to force myself to swallow my words. I wanted to say, you want me to make the Bible come alive? I didn't know that it had died. In fact, I never even heard it was ill. Who was the attending physician at the Bible's demise? No, I can't make the Bible come alive for anyone. The Bible is already alive. It makes me come alive. So I wonder, like, what if we sat here for an hour and read the greatest teacher of all time, Jesus? What if we just, like, just read his words here? Like, or at least what Matthew's recorded or the other Gospels. Like, would we be bored with what Jesus says? Because some, sometimes we go, well, we want somebody to make that come alive and, like, see it in a new light and these things. Um, would we have to, like, read it in a really dramatic way and have bunch of commentary and sermon illustrations in order to, to make it come alive to us? Um, or, or what if we did like the people of Israel did in Nehemiah 8? It says this, All the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, by the way, which can be pretty boring sometimes. Bring that book of the law that the Lord has commanded Israel. So Ezra, listen to what Ezra does. Ezra the priest brought before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month, he brought it before them, and here's what he does with God's word, or their scripture at the time. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. Like, boring, right? <laughs> here's the law. It says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. As he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads to the ground and worshipped the Lord, their faces to the ground. Simply just at the reading of God's word. Which to us, I think, sometimes may sound kind of boring. But I think... The difference was these people of Israel were at a time and these disciples were reading of Matthew were at a place where they were searching and they were wanting to receive the truth and they were wanting and seeking out to understand. They had good soil, I think you could say, to compare to the parable of the sowers. So, like, we, don't, we can't help that we were born into the culture that we were born into, and I think it's a good thing that we have some of the best communicators at our fingertips and that we have, I think, media and, and different visual illustrations and stuff can be super helpful. They can help us learn. I don't want to rag on those because um, they can help us. But we're seeing in Matthew chapter 13 that 
the secrets of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of God, the spiritual understanding of his truth that produces fruit will be revealed only to hearts that are seeking to understand, or hearts that are ready to receive what he has. So if you don't want to understand, you're not going to understand, no matter how, how great a communicator the teacher is. But if you want to understand, what Jesus then does is he reveals his truth to those who want that. Um, and you remember, maybe you remember last week that Randy said, like, this understanding that Jesus is talking about is like, it's, it's synthesizing, or it's putting the pieces together, and not just intellectually, like, oh, well, this represents this, and this represents this, but in a way that is, it's, it's not just cognitive, but it's volitional, or it says, I, it moves me, I, I'm committed to action, I understand it so much that it's actually going to have an influence on, on what I do. And the question's asked a couple times, and it will be in Matthew, do you have, or, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, what I'm going to do tonight is just read through a few more parables to end out chapter 13, and I'm only going to give a minor amount of explanation on the parables. Um, I, I believe that Matthew communicated to the people that he was communicating what he thought was entirely sufficient for them to hear, and probably didn't expect that there'd be thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of commentaries and devotionals written on what he was going to say. Like, he, he wrote what he felt was important for people to hear, um, and, and nothing wrong with, with commentaries and, and study of that sort. But um, my, my role, I hope tonight, as we just look through these, is to give just a little bit of cultural and, and language, linguistic understanding, because it was written in a different culture and a different language, and so there's some things that I, I can help with just since I've studied another passage and some of the history behind it. Um, so I'll do that, but then we'll talk application, which I think is what's going to be really beneficial for us. Like, what if we truly understand, then that means we're moved to do something, so we'll talk about that a little bit. I know that's a long intro, but it's kind of the point of all of these parables, or the whole of chapter 13, um, that those who are, are are seeking to know, or those, the, those are the ones that Jesus gives revelation. It's not that they're real smart, or they've figured it out on their own. Jesus is revealing to willing hearts. So, we're going to see Jesus continue to speak in parables, and he's going to start each of these parables with something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, he says in verse 24. And he's saying this, he's describing the kingdom, remember, because the kingdom wasn't exactly what the people were expecting. They were expecting it to look a little bit differently, and so Jesus is explaining, here's why people are going to actually have varied responses, like the different soils, to, um, to the teaching of the kingdom. So let's just read uh, verse 24 to 30, says this. He put another parable, we think he's talking to the crowd here again. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to, said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them, like to pull out the weeds? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow, let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first 
and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Just a couple little notes on that. The wheat here is probably what's called darnel, which darnel is, is a weed that looks a lot like wheat. It's actually called, like, referred to sometimes as false wheat or bastard wheat because it's, it, it looks like, especially as it's sprouting up, it looks just like wheat. Um, I don't know if you guys have, like, those plants that sometimes I have to ask my vet, is that a weed or is that a plant? Because, like, the dandelion throws me off, right? It's like this flower, but people call it a weed. And I don't know. Um, we actually have, like, ferns out here in our little planter out front that there's some pretty, like, fern-like stuff, but there's also these sprigs of, of wiry looking kind of thorny um, whatever it is. I don't know if it's part of the same plant. I think it might be. Or if it's a weed. But I know that if, when I start yanking those out, I'm like ripping up the ferns too. So I understand kind of what the parable is talking about. Um, but just like sticking, not the, what's, not the like real life meaning, but just within the parable, what, he's, what the master is saying is instead of doing the weeding prematurely, you have to, we're going to let things run their course for a while. So when the harvest comes, at, at a future time, then the reapers will burn the weeds, they'll give the wheat to the master. But that harvest time is a time in the future, which means for now there will be both wheat and weeds, both. So is that, I mean, pretty simple to understand uh, cognitively. By the way, this is a great passage to use, or would have been if like your parents or somebody asked you to do the weeding. You're like, no. <laughs> don't want to pull up the um, Okay, so we'll we'll hold off on like the explanation of of this parable because we're gonna go through a couple more real quick and Jesus will explain it. But does anybody just have any questions like what is he talking about with the weeding? Not how does it relate to real life, but just the agricultural side of things. Okay. Let's read on. He put another parable before them. This is verse 31, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So, kingdom of heaven is like this tiny seed that matures into a surprisingly relatively large plant. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, or like yeast kind of, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. So leaven or, or yeast, what we use, you guys probably know this, but it's what you put in bread dough and it makes it really it makes it ferment but we see it as rising and it spreads throughout the whole um, throughout the whole lump of dough and then you have a larger bread to cook in heaven um, so Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like that bit of leaven that eventually permeates the whole batch now Jesus doesn't at least what Matthew records here he doesn't explain specifically what these two short parables mean. Um, probably because they're fairly self-explanatory. So let's just kind of look at them and see if we can understand. But By the way, parable, I don't know if we mentioned it last week, but parable, that word just kind of means to throw alongside of. 
So you have like this is reality. I'm going to kind of put alongside of the, the this this other story so that you can see what it's like, so that you can connect the pieces, so that you can. Um, Yes, it's like it's like an extended simile or metaphor. It's not um, it's not like a um, what's something like the pigs pigs farm? Is that story? Animal farm. Animal farm. So you know how an animal farm like everything represents something else, or what? What's this? Is that an allegory? An allegory. So, so a parable isn't necessarily like an allegory where everything just lines up perfectly with something in real life. It's like an extended simile or metaphor saying the kingdom of heaven in general is like this. Randy said last week, it's like there's usually kind of one main point, and it doesn't mean that the, well, what about, what color was the, you know, sower's hair? And, like, all that stuff doesn't, wouldn't even matter. Like, even in this parable, there's some sleeping men in, in the parable, the weeds and wheat, and Jesus doesn't explain what this like, why were the men asleep or whatever? And I don't think we're meant to ask, well, what do the sleeping men represent? It's just, hey, there's a whole, like, there's, and he's saying, generally, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells a, an extended kind of simile to explain it. It's a good question. But he wants us to, like, put the pieces together. Here's real life. So if you guys looked at that first, like, the parable of the, of the grain of mustard seed, and you had to use one word just to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like or what it does. If you had to say the kingdom of heaven blank, what would you say based on the mustard seed parable? Small and, and maybe, but what does it do then? It grows or it matures, yeah. And with the one, with the parable of the leaven, you might say the same thing, but is there a different word that might describe that? The kingdom of heaven blank. What does it do in that parable? Expand. Expands? Yeah. Or, or I'd say maybe it spreads, right? So we'll use those two because that's what I wrote down in my notes. It grows, <laughs> it grows and spreads. So he's just giving them a a little bit of picture. Again, it's not like, well, well, what are the birds of the air that make nests? You know, maybe there's something to that. Like, people kind of will um, just make guesses at what that might mean. But the overall thing is the kingdom of, of God, what he's describing here, starts small and it gets growing and spreading. Um, so, like, now to compare that to, like, well, what's the reality that he's, he's comparing that to, that he's throwing that alongside of? What would you guys say, like, how did the kingdom of God actually start, or with whom, or when did it start in this world? When did we see its beginning? Like as we've studied Matthew, the kingdom of God kind of starts with what or whom? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, that's the right answer. So Jesus comes on the scene. It's a safe answer. Um, Jesus comes on the scene as this one humble dude, right? It starts small. And then, what do we see happen to that, that small seed? Even so far, in the, like even a few chapters ago, like what are we starting to see with that, with that kingdom that was inaugurated with Christ? It's growing, it's spreading. Like he sends out the 12, right? And in another gospel read, he sends out the 70. And in Acts, it's becoming thousands. And centuries later, it's becoming, you know, a, much, a lot of the kingdom, or a lot of Rome. And so it's spreading, it's growing. And... 
so like, okay, we can, I think we can like understand pretty simply, cognitively, here are the pieces and kind of maybe what they represent, but like to truly understand the type of understanding that Jesus is wanting that's going to produce fruit, um, I think we have to like take a step into our own lives and say, do we understand that? Not do we, can we connect the pieces, but do we understand it? So I'd ask you this, what would you guys say, what is currently happening with the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Yeah, it's growing, like, it's growing and spreading. We know, like, there's there's certain areas, Papua New Guinea, a lot of areas of Asia, like, that the kingdom of, of God, that the gospel of, of God is, is going into places that it, it hasn't been before. It's still spreading, it's still expanding, it, it hasn't stopped. And now, when we say, hey, the kingdom of God is spreading, what, what do we mean by that? It's not a literal, like, seed, or it's not leaven. Like, what's, how, what's that spread look like? What is it? More people are hearing the gospel. Yeah, people are hearing the gospel, and it's assumed, I think, coming coming to know and follow the gospel. Now, it's not everybody. It's, we're not Christianizing. There's no plan. We can't Christianize the whole world. There's going to be weed, There's going to be weeds at judgment. There's going to, you know, there's one in four soils. There's It's a narrow gate that few find. So, But, yeah, it's expanding by people hearing this message and coming to know and follow Christ. So, like to like drop it into our laps. If the kingdom, if if we are part, if we're members spiritually of that kingdom of God, how does the knowledge that the kingdom is growing and spreading? How should that affect us? What would that mean in our own lives? So you can say the obvious. Excited. What's that? You're excited about it. You're excited about it. Anything else? Like. Challenge. Like, maybe I would be involved in some of the spread of this message. Somebody's got to be. Maybe I'm going to support somebody, too. Maybe I'm going to be the one to, to actually verbalize it myself. But certainly it would seem that, at, generally, a, as a people of God, we shouldn't be stagnant. We don't just sit on this gospel of the kingdom, and it, and it doesn't do anything. But it spreads and it grows. That's the nature. That's the trend of what's happening in the kingdom of God right now. So, for us... We've, like, some some steps that we take is, well, we look at the sower and the soil. So we say, well, somebody's got to be sowing that seed. That's one thing that we do. Mark 4, 14 says, the sower sows the word. We're sowers. We're part of this. We sow the word of God. Um, that's one thing that we do. Romans 10 talks about, hey, how will they hear if somebody's not preaching? Like, there's a message to communicate. Um, I think we're in a really strategic city here in Los Angeles when it comes to the growing and spreading of, of the kingdom of God. Why would I say that in, in LA? Lots of cultures. There's tons of cultures from all over the place that a lot of them are going to move back to wherever, whatever culture they came from, whatever area. Like, I think it's, that's one reason that the Cornerstone Gospel Partnership's like, yes, we think LA is a strategic, valuable place to be because it, it's going to send people out all over the world. Yeah, Jared, I was just thinking about how it says the kingdom of God is hidden, and I think about how like this church isn't buying this big facility and raising up the white flag and saying like we're the new church in town. Yeah. Like you're kind of coming at it more like hidden and kind of catching people maybe even by surprise of like what's going on in your courtyard here, you yeah. know? And so I like how it's it's more kind of coming in the, the 
the back door or the side door yeah. a little bit more and surprising people by the kind of Christianity as opposed to like, bam, you know, hitting them over the head. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a good example of how you guys are doing it. Yeah. yeah. Another, like, I think way to be involved with that, what a lot of churches do, I hope that we will do, is by sending people out to other other places that need to hear the gospel. Um, that, I mean, maybe people sitting here, like in a few years, will be saying, hey, we're going to send you to who knows where, and you're going to be a part of the gospel being preached to this other people. Well, I feel like something you guys get to be part of is that this culture is of the artists and the um, people in the entertainment industry moving from Colorado to L.A., yeah. We really hear it. People are in the entertainment industry so much more than anywhere else in the U.S., and that affects culture in a huge way. Yeah. So being a part of sharing, being sowing seeds in that entertainment industry affects the world. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So I I think these are the types of things. Yeah, it makes sense that we would be involved in these because that's that's what the kingdom of God is like right now. It's it's spreading. It's not done. Like it, it hasn't stopped. It, it will at some point. It'll, it'll be or not stopped, but it'll it'll actually be here in full when Christ comes. But um, but it's spreading. It's growing. So well, let's just let's read on. So verse thirty four. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Interesting, this, this prophet, um, really Asaph in Psalm 78, is saying, hey, parables will be used to explain things that have been hidden. Which we, It's kind of ironic because parables are a bit hidden in themselves. Remember last week, for those that don't want to don't want to understand, they're... they're they're, they're not going to get it at all because it's because their eyes are closed to it and their ears are deaf to it. But um, but so once again, Matthew just brings in this prophecy. It says, that, hey, it's just like what, what Jesus is doing here. He's fulfilling what was spoken by the prophet. The next parable says this, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, this is key, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Again, this is showing. This this is the heart of these disciples. Like they wanted to know. They were gonna. They were going to Jesus to reveal to them the, the truth. He answered, "The one who sows the good seed is the son of man." So he's going back to the the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now don't confuse this parable with the original parable. This parable, Jesus specifically explains, the sower who sows the good word is the son of man, the sower who sows the, 
um, the, the bad seed is the, the devil. Um, in, the, in the parable of the sower, we don't, he doesn't explain exactly who that sower is. Um, but we see here in this explanation, God, or the master, he's letting both wheat, or the righteous, and weeds, the, the unrighteous, grow at the same time. And the uprooting or the harvesting of everyone, it, it, it doesn't come until a future time, until the close of the age. It doesn't come until a future harvest. So that means for now, the darnel, the weeds, the, the unrighteous, those who are not disciples and followers of Christ, you would say, they're not going to be wiped out right now. Now, why would that be hard for a Jew to hear? What have we been talking about? What they were expecting to happen when Messiah came? What's that? Yeah, that he would establish his kingdom then and there, and to some extent bring judgment, and he'd, he'd take over, he'd get rid of Rome, and like they were expecting uh, this type of thing, like that Messiah would take care of the enemy right there in its fullness. But that's not what Jesus says is happening in the kingdom right now. This is a, this is a mystery. This isn't something that had been explained to them before, and. Um, So he's saying this isn't the time of judgment yet, but this is the time to tie it into the previous, the other two parables. This is the time for the growing and the spreading of God's kingdom. And in that growing and spreading, there's going to be different types of people, but uh, judgment will come uh, at a later time. So have you all seen, or can you think of any time in history that Christians, like some of the crowds or some of the Pharisees, have misunderstood this idea or, or misapplied this idea and it's had or, or been blind to this idea that hey the, the wheat and the weeds are both going to continue judgment isn't going to come yet they've been blind to that and it's had some tragic consequences yeah there's, yeah, there's been a number of times I don't know like maybe you're thinking the crusades or but there's like a number of times where Christians have said no we want Judgment. We want justice right now, and we're going to take care of it ourselves. Yeah, there's. We could probably name a, a small handful of them. It's like a, similar, like when James and John, Luke nine, they say they ask Jesus, Jesus, if they should tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these people who are uh, following Christ. So. Kind of just to, to drop this in our lap, like what is this this group of three parables? The wheat and the weeds, the, the uh, mustard seed that grows, the leaven that spreads. Like how does that land into our lives? How, what does that say about our interaction here in the world right now in, in, the, in the partly inaugurated kingdom of, of Jesus right now? What, like, what does that tell us how we should live? Is it a time of judgment? Like, what instead would it make sense for us to find ourselves busy with? Not judgment, but sowing, evangelism, and spreading this good word while there's while there's time for people, while God is, is long-suffering and waiting and, and being gracious for people to come to know him. So it's not our job to like go around picking weeds and uh, to to judge in that way. Like you're not, um, 
which it's a good thing that's not our job right now because remember Darnold looks a lot like wheat and so sometimes we might pick out the wrong things like we don't know what's well we don't know who's saved who's not somebody looks really horrible at one point and then they're saved or somebody looks saved and then they they seem to fall away from it you know we we can't make that judgment call and that's not what Jesus is saying that this time is for this time is for the sowing of the word this time is for we'd say evangelism I was going to say too like the mustard seed was the smallest of all the seeds it was a very insignificant seed, and so like no doubt all of us maybe feel like there's something insignificant about us, and God's gonna use it in a very significant way if we let him. Yeah. Even if you feel insignificant and small. Yeah. Yeah. The you know. kingdom of God goes very much against what yeah what we what the world could expect or what we could produce on our on our own or yeah it's just it's. Some people even think that he, he uses leaven as kind of a, a shocking thing. Like, well, leaven could, because usually leaven in the scripture is usually used in a negative light. It represents kind of sin and stuff. Um, but it's like, no, this surprising leaven, this surprising mustard seed, like, look what look what it actually does. Um, oh, yeah, I like that. All right, verse 44. There's kind of three more parables here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it so pretty easy to understand the, the kingdom is extremely valuable Again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind, or that word kind can also, it's also translated um, like race, which is a weird way to talk about fish, but that's obviously it's a parable, it means something else. It, the net gathers fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asks the disciples. Again, like we've been saying, it doesn't seem like Jesus is asking, have you cognitively understood or intellectually understood what relates to something else. Because it's kind of simple. Hey, if, if somebody finds something in the parables, if somebody finds something that's way more valuable than anything they own, they're going to get rid of whatever they, they have to get that thing. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's so infinitely valuable that we would joyfully give up whatever we have in order to gain that treasure. It's like the analogy is easy to understand. The, the fish analogy, again, it, it doesn't take, it's not too difficult. It doesn't seem to just have the mental exercise of, of connecting some pieces. The fish seem to represent humanity. It's similar to the parable of the wheat and the weeds, that at some point in the future, men and women of all races of everywhere in the world will be sorted into two categories. There's many other places in Scripture that talk about it, the, the, the evil and the righteous, um, the, those who will, who will spend eternity in a place, the fiery furnace, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which we call hell, 
and there's others that are that will experience the, the joy of the master in heaven. So like the, those pieces are easy, fairly easy, I think, just to, to understand what represents what. And that's not what Jesus is asking. Hey, do you understand all of these things? Do you understand that the pearl of great value represents the value of heaven and that the seed maybe represents the you know the word of God? Like people are not they're not dumb. Like you could you could probably explain this to somebody who just doesn't even have any faith and you could get them to answer the right questions on the test. Well, here's what lines up, whatever. The question I think that Jesus is asking, have you understood all of these things? is more along the lines of this. Do you understand, for example, that the kingdom is the most important, valuable thing, and are you willing to receive this? Do you understand the implications of the kingdom? It's worth giving up everything. Do you understand that it's not just a parable, but this is you, potentially, who have found this treasure and this pearl? Like, do you, are you understanding and receiving that? Do you understand, maybe, like, with the parable of the nets and the fishes, like, do you understand that there, there is going to come a time when people will be sorted one of two different ways? Like, do you, do you really understand that? It's like Jesus is saying... Do you really hear what I'm saying? Do you have ears to hear? Are you taking this to heart? Do you understand? Like, do you understand? And so I'll, like, put that in our laps, a couple of, like, questions to reflect on. Like, do, do we truly understand? Like, we can, it doesn't take a lot more teaching to connect these pieces, but do, do you understand? Do I understand that the kingdom of heaven is infinitely valuable of treasure to you. Like, do you really get that? And, you might ask, how would, how would anybody know that? <laughs> like, how does your life even, what's, what's the fruit of your life that might express that you actually understood that, that you were a good soil and you produced fruit from it? That the kingdom is, it is infinitely more valuable than anything else that's going on in your life, your possessions, your relationships. Or maybe, like, you can ask yourself the question, like, do I live my life bearing in mind that there's going to be a, a net that's cast? There's going to be a time of harvest. And what my life would show that I actually believe that? What's, what's, what's the fruit that's coming out of that true understanding? Um, let's go to 51, just finish some of this out. He says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, which is bold and not 100% accurate maybe, but they, they're, they're, getting, they're gaining understanding. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe, and a scribe is just somebody who is a, a, a scholar in, in, the, in the scripture, in the Hebrew scriptures, every scribe that um, who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, that trained is, is the word discipled or to be a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. So notice you could, you could potentially be a scribe, a, a scholar, and know the scriptures really well and not be a disciple. But he's saying if you are a scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, it's like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new 
and what is old. It's somebody who takes all of the pieces and it puts the pieces together. I, there's a little bit of um, different thoughts on what exactly this means. I, I think he's saying what, like specifically to the people that he's writing, you're taking what is old, like what you've known from your prophets, from, from, the, from the scriptures, and you're combining it now with what Jesus' teaching is, and you're putting these things together, and the parables are helping make light of it, and you're truly understanding and walking in the implications of that. So he says... Like that's what that's what a scribe is who has been discipled in the kingdom of heaven. You're you're connecting all of these pieces, and then the last few verses says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, and about seven of them, when he finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? When did this man get all these things? Verse 57, And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So this was a people who they even seem like in their in what they're proclaiming, they even seem to understand cognitively, they're they're recognizing the wisdom of Jesus and the power and the works that he's displayed. Like they, they can understand that, but they're not willing to truly understand, to truly be a disciple, to truly follow and learn from Jesus, and Jesus doesn't do mighty works when people don't have unbelief. It's just like, he doesn't explain the parables to the person who's hard-hearted and really doesn't uh, want to know. So the difference between the disciples that we've seen and the crowds are the disciples we see in verse 10 and verse 36 are the ones that are asking Jesus questions. We want to know when you explain this to us. We, we want to truly have understanding. And the others are those who don't. They don't want to learn. They, they're going to reject what they hear because it's not what they want to hear. It's only those who have ears for the kingdom that, that receive the message that turn to Christ. So um, I want to just kind of end by kind of considering these parables that we've looked at um, the last two weeks. And you guys know, like, we've talked a lot about the kingdom in the book of Matthew, and there's this idea that we've alluded to that, that God's kingdom, it's, it's already here, and it's not yet fully come. Like, we're living in, a, in like Randy kind of explained, the, the spiritual, God's spiritual kingdom right now, which hearts are turning to him. Um, but there's going to be a point in the future when Jesus establishes that kingdom here. Uh, so it's already, but it's not yet. But like, so what I want to kind of end with is thinking about right now the the kingdom or the, the the aspect of the kingdom that we understand right now that's happening right now. Chapter thirteen sheds some really good light on what that kingdom should look like, and I would say it's largely missional. There's there's a mission. There's something that's going to be accomplished. There's something that that our lives are to be about in in the kingdom as it exists right now before Christ returns. And so I want to just look at kind of these five sections of parables 
and kind of ask the question, what, how, what does that look like in our lives right now? Some of it will review from what we've already said tonight. But, so how do, the, how do these parables speak to the mission in our own lives and in the kingdom now? So first, that last week, the sower and the seeds. What do we learn about what's happening in the kingdom right now with the sower and the seeds? We've kind of already said it, but the sower is sowing. He's spreading the word of God, yeah. And some are going to receive it and some don't. So I would summarize that just by saying the kingdom now has a task. I'm going to give you five T's that's going to help you remember and it's going to be robots for you to take on. The kingdom now has a task and that task for, for us as, as spiritual, as members of this kingdom are, is to sow the word. The kingdom of God is a task. With the parable of the wheat and the weeds, what do we learn is happening in the kingdom right now? What's just a, a summary of what's going on right now as we speak? What's growing? The word of God, both wheat and weeds, right? And so, and what in the parable does it specifically say our lives right now are not to be about? Weeding the garden, yeah, just kept calling our own judgment and whatnot. So I would say this, the kingdom now is for a time. There's a, there's a time period that we're in where evil will continue to exist. So the kingdom now, we have a task, kingdom is now is for a time. What about the mustard seed and the leaven? What's happening right now with the kingdom of God? What was kind of the summarizing two, summarizing two words that we said? It's growing, it's spreading, or permeating, or yeah, any word you want to use. So what we said based on that is we shouldn't be a people who are like stagnant and just sitting on this message and, and and not being engaged to some extent with that, because the kingdom now has a trend. There's a trend that's growing and it's spreading, and we are uh, are a part of that process. God graciously uses us in that. Um, the treasure in a field and the pearl of great value. We see that the kingdom now is is it's a treasure. It's infinitely valuable. So it has a task. It's for a time. We have to understand that time. There's a trend in the kingdom now of, of growth and spreading. The kingdom is a treasure, and all of the implications in our lives that go along with that. And then, lastly, with the net and the fish, like that's not talking so much. Like, there's very little in that parable about what's going on right now, but that's giving us some information about the future when the fish will be brought in. So, for lack of a better T word, I'd say the kingdom now has a terminus, or there's a there's a destination. It's going to end up. People are going to end up somewhere. Like there's a, a destination that they're going to arrive in for eternity. So there's a task for a time, there's a trend, it's a treasure, and it has a terminus. So, like, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, and as I study it, I think, man, this is like, this is some grand, epic story about what God is doing in the world, and it was known before the foundations of the world, and now it's, it's being revealed in this new cool way in the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene, and it's this huge story, and I think well, we're like like 15 people sitting here tonight, and it's easy to disconnect us from this massive story that's spreading all over the world, and um, but I think to myself, this like this is exactly what was happening 
when Jesus was telling these parables, it was 12 guys, maybe a few more, who are hearing this message, and this is exactly, this is the smallness of the kingdom that started, and we're just a, a continuation of that process, and who knows what God will do with the 10 or 15 or 20 of us. I don't want to be audacious and just think that we're more than we are, but but that's that's just the nature of the kingdom. That's what God is doing. He uses his people like he used these 12 people to to get the word out, to sow this seed about the good news of his kingdom in this time while people can still respond in faith to Jesus and turn to him. And that's, y'all, that's what we get to be a part of. And if we're not, I think we're missing like what God is doing in, in his kingdom, which is a which is what God is doing. That's, um, so I'd like to pray for us uh, that we can be engaged in it. Now, God's doing this work regardless of how well we do, regardless really of, of our sin. and like He's, he's going to progress whatever he wants to happen. It's not gonna, it doesn't depend on us. But we're privileged in our joy because we found this treasure to be a part of this the sowing of God's word, the spreading of the kingdom. So, I'm excited about it. <laughs> so, let's pray. Father, would you um, help us, we need your help to truly understand and to put all of the pieces together and to even connect the pieces to our, our own life and so that it would sink down into our hearts and take root in our hearts that we would hear your word and be doers of your word and have fruit that expresses lives that truly understand the valuable pearl and treasure that we found. And Lord, would you make that obvious in our lives? Would we not hide from um, the fact that we are citizens of your kingdom and not of this world? I pray that we wouldn't try to to hide that, but that that would be apparent in our lives. Um, but Lord, I pray like we were learning when you were sending out the, the 12, I pray that we would be wise in that, though. We don't want to uproot things that uh, that we think should be uprooted. Like, we don't know where people's hearts are, so would you just give us discernment and what to say and when to say it? Would you give us love and compassion for people? Would you give us a heart to obey you, even just because it's what you say in your word and anything that you command of us we want to follow just because you God have commanded that of us mm-hmm. uh, but Lord I admit too that it's a, it's a joy and when, when I'm able to uh, to play a role in, in what you're doing it's it's wonderful it fills me with joy and mm-hmm. um, I know it does for many of us here so God would you guide us on this mission together we look forward to when this this time of the kingdom is completed and you return and all recognize your kingship. And I hope that that happens tonight um, or tomorrow. But, um, but Lord, in the meantime, just would you fill us with grace and obedience and love. And help us, just a few people, um, to have a big impact in the lives around us because of your spirit at work in us, producing fruit. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen.